Hey guys, thank you so much for downloading and listening to this episode of On The Beat. Have you rated or reviewed us yet? If not, why? The best way for us to grow is by sharing us with your friends and rating and reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify has a new rating feature right on our podcast front page. It is super easy, and the more five-star ratings and reviews we get, the better it is for us to grow. If you screenshot and DM us your review, we'll share the most flattering ones on an upcoming episode. Thank you so much for listening, and your support is marvelous and appreciated. Well, hello there, and welcome to On The Beat, the podcast that uncovers full frontal male nudity in cinema. My name is Laura, and I am joined by my beloved co-host, Ryan. I'm her husband. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. You're so much more than just my co-host. Yes. But today you are first and foremost. Well, at least for the next 50 minutes, I'm your co-host. Absolutely. Yeah. And I brought you here today to talk about the 2005 hip-hop crime drama, Get Rich or Die Tryin'. <laughs> starring... Did, yeah, <laughs> the, the hip-hop <laughs> crime drama, yeah. just so we can distinguish it from all the other crime dramas. It also has a hip-hop element. It does. The hip it does. and the hop. Yeah. And don't stop. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of... I don't I think of... this movie has a lot of hip-hop, to be honest. No, no, it doesn't. It's the gangster rap crime drama. Yeah. Is 50 Cent gangster rap? Gangster rap. Probably is, right? Semi-autobiographical crime drama. Yeah. We'll get into the the biographical side of the film. um, Well, it stars... Relative detail. 50 Cent, or Curtis Jackson, same person, as Marcus. The half-dollar man. The half-dollar man. Yeah. Um... Terrence Howard as Bama, Joy Bryant as Charlene, and Viola Davis as Grandma. There's other people oh. in this movie, but... Yeah, there's quite a big ensemble, like a big black ensemble cast in this movie that they've they've been able to put together. It's actually a very... I would say that the strongest thing about this film is the cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very much... It's a, it's a very well put together cast. It's just a shame the story doesn't really substantiate or at least get the most out of its cast, I feel. Personally. Which is a shame. It's a good story. And the yeah. cast is, is, as you said, very well put together. Mm-hmm. But uh, this movie is pretty boring. Yeah, the movie is a little bit dull. Weird. It's strange that it is because especially this is the film or a film that has a lot of elements that you, Ryan, quite enjoy. I'm no stranger to enjoying... Um, Hip-hop like, crime dramas? Well, no, I mean, I guess like a lot of... Just a lot of black cinema, like black voices mm-hmm. in cinema. So, you know, I put myself out there. I say, I, you know, I really like Spike Lee. I like the Hughes Brothers. I like John Singleton an awful yeah. lot. Um, you know, like it, it appeals to me. Do you think that this film is at a disadvantage from being written and directed by two white men? I don't know, because there's plenty of other films of this ilk that are directed by uh, white white people, mm-hmm. you know, or not specifically white people, but people who are not black, okay. I guess. But I will say that this film does not benefit from... 
I guess like what they needed to do is they kind of needed to lean in, lean lean in the story a little bit because mm-hmm. it is a little bit too chunky for its own good. So certainly in the writing, they needed to they needed to trim some stuff out of it just to kind of make it a bit leaner. We need to get into the synopsis and everything as well. But um, as we were talking about it, why don't you tell us about our director Jim Sheridan? So Jim Sheridan. It's such a weird, like, combination. It's like... I agree. Irish playwright directs 50 Cent's semi-autobiographical telling of his life story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's very weird. Like, it clashes a bit. Or at least, like, on paper, you feel like it clashes a fair amount. But Jim Sharon, he's a celebrated film director and Irish playwright. Um, and this is just a selection of some of the stuff that I quite like from him. Um, probably his best film or his most well-known film is My Left Foot in 1989. Yeah. Which was uh, obviously Daniel Day-Lewis uh, playing a painter who uses his left foot to paint. Right. Um, and- I mean left. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> God. Oh, boy. Yeah. This is a short episode. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, Danny Day-Lewis got the Oscar for this movie. Um, I quite like this movie. It's very sad, though. So, I'm not going to be like, wow, let's sit down and enjoy this. He, he worked with Daniel Day-Lewis again in the name of the father in 93. Yep. called The Boxer in 97. In America, 2002. Get Rich or Die Trying comes out, obviously, in 2005. But another film that we watched recently, which has a couple of our favorites in it, is Brothers from 2009. Oh, yeah. Um, which is obviously Jake Gyllenhaal and Tobey Maguire. I love that movie. And Natalie Portman's in that. So It's got my favorite. Yeah, my favorites. Well, that kind of comes out, or at least it's out It's out during the time where there's a, there's a surge in like post-war like PTSD, Afghanistan, like post 9-11 cinema. Yeah. You know, because then, you know, you, you know, we got like The Hurt Locker and uh, In the Valley of Ella and all that sort of stuff, like around about the same time. Right. So there is that. Um, so not much kind of notable other than what I've kind of mentioned from, you know, for Jim Sheridan. Uh, you know, he did work in TV and he's done one music video for Sinead O'Connor. In 94, for You Made Me the Thief of Your Heart. Oh, okay. How nice. Lovely. But yeah, I don't really have an awful lot on Jim Sheridan. I just, I always kind of was like, huh, that's a very strange kind of pairing. Now, I would say this film's relatively quite dense, but it's also a little bit too fatty in its denseness, you know? It's interesting you would say it was, it's quite dense, because I felt like there are moments which feel very rich and very yeah. intense. Mm-hmm. And then there's another third of the movie that's just floaty and flighty and feels like it's not uh, anchored to anything. It needs to, It just needed to get to the point a little bit quicker. And then also there's a quite a, there's quite a grim, and I guess like this is more towards the end of the movie where it kind of goes against the hallmarks of the gangster genre by effectively celebrating and condoning the horrible things that that Curtis Jackson's character does in this film right to basically become a success correct yeah yeah I agree and it goes against the elements of the gangster genre which is effectively like if you live the life of a gangster 
that's effectively like the, the whole point of their arc is that there's an eventual downfall. Like they shouldn't be rewarded for doing horrible things. And you can scale that from any number of gangster films starting from like the 1930s when the original Scarface came out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and this kind of goes against that. I kind of feel like it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, some horrible stuff happens at the end, but then he is a, a success. success. Yeah. So I guess like there's elements of that and also because, you know, it is semi-autobiographical, I kind of start to question the legitimacy of his true story. <laughs> If I'd be correct there. You know what? And let, let me just pop in the synopsis because we haven't, I haven't grabbed that yet. So mm -hmm. the synopsis from Letterboxd is a tale of an inner city drug dealer who turns away from crime to pursue his passion, rap music. Yeah. See, now that's all fine and well, I think. Because like what we see is we see... It's a weird thing, like, how they do this in the story, and I'm obviously not going to give too much away, because it doesn't really... It, it, it's not going to lend anything to our argument to kind of explain every single beat of this movie. We're just going to kind of pick away at it. But uh, <laughs> it starts at a pivotal moment in his life as an adult, and then flashbacks all the way back to him being a kid, and then we see him growing up. And, and basically, we track his, his basically a descent into the criminal underworld, yes. effectively, where he's like pushing drugs, he's pushing dime bags as like a like an eleven year old kid. He's got like a gun. Um his his mother's his mother's been murdered and he's living with his grandparents. Yes. Um who also are housing like twelve something other children yeah. at the same time. So you know he's 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 struggling to get an education. He's basically knows nothing but the streets and he's just kind of making his way up the criminal underworld, selling drugs and stealing money that's effectively what it is yeah he becomes the best at being a bad boy pretty He's the best of the bad boys pretty much um obviously and i'm assuming it's for it's for the safety of himself and everybody else um there are obviously certain elements of the story that ring true because there was a moment, obviously, where Curtis Jackson, he was shot like nine times. Yeah, in real life. In real life. And he was shot in the face. And all that stuff is shown in the movie. And then, obviously, his rehabilitation to becoming a, a, you know, a rap superstar, so yes. to speak, that's all kind of mapped out and makes sense. And obviously, it's something that, that grew, in him, you know, grew in him gradually as opposed to, well... I'm. I was. You know. I was gun running and gang banging and selling people drugs. But I found music. You know. It's not really been that. Been that way. Right. You know. You want to know the tagline? Yeah. If you think you know the story, you don't know the man. Yeah, I never liked that. Never liked that. No, because I didn't know the story, and I don't no. really know the man either. I don't feel like I came out learning too much. Seems like a good person. Well, Maybe the, the thing is, uh, I mean, if you take like if you take this story as verbatim, it would come across that like he's a he's a horrible evil individual. You think so? Yeah. I mean, just because he decides he's not going to shoot a Colombian in the face and just shoot him in the leg, I don't think that's justification for some of his actions. Yeah, I guess there was a point where he was going out and his girlfriend asks if he killed somebody, right? Yeah. He goes, "No, but I." 
but I should have. So Yeah, it's not justification for, like, you're still doing something bad. Like, it doesn't matter if, like, you killed someone or not. I mean, that's probably one of the most abhorrent fucking crimes you can commit on a single person in your yeah. lifetime. But at the same time, you're kind of just like, well, I, I, I wanted to see a bit more, at least, like, a bit more of a level of remorse for his character. But unfortunately, as a gangster in this movie, he's not really kind of... He's not really doing much to redeem himself other than he's vocalizing it and putting it into his music. Yeah. The idea that someone turns back turns his back on him and shoots him shoots him nine times, like I don't feel like that's enough justification for how this film ends. But, he also has a baby. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that should be justification enough to kind of like, you know, change your life around and things. But like, then I he could... had the baby first and then went to rob a store. So he maybe yeah. should have thought about the fact that he had a family and someone to take care of before he uh, went and tried to rob that place. Yeah. And that's I mean, when I guess, he gets shot. Yeah, but then I guess like there's also an element of that where it comes from like a place of desperation. You know, like he knows nothing. Like he's not just going to go get a job. I mean, he also kind of has a go at his grandfather at one point by basically saying like he's not going to be that. Oh, he's not going to like know, clean floors. Clean floors and stuff, you know, which is for the most part, you know, intents and purposes. It's, uh, you know, it's an honest living. Yeah. But. Uh, Better than selling drugs. Yeah. I think like what I'd want to talk about, and I don't really want to talk about the film itself because I think the film's very middle of the road. Um, like, let's talk about how the film like effectively came to be. <laughs> And why it ended up in the hands of someone like Jim Sheridan. Do you know the story? You know? Because I do not. Well, Curtis Hansen's 8 Mile uh, came out in 2002. Okay. So very much that set the template for what Get Rich or Die Trying is going to be. Right. You know, uh, which is effectively like, if you know, if you think about 8 Mile, 8 Mile is the... The, the beginnings of Eminem, Marshall Mathers, you know, like that that whole story. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's a little bit more intimate. It's a little bit easier to get into. And Mom's I feel like, spaghetti. Yeah. But effectively, like, 8 Mile is just rocky, except with rap music. That's what it is. Okay. You know, already kind of takes the formula from the Rocky movies and they just puts it into rap battles. Okay. That's did interesting. You, I don't know. you never think about that? No, no, I never think about 8 Mile. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Eight Mile I mean, never comes up in my I think that thought process. I think, I think, honestly, I think that movie's all right. I think it's not bad. I think that, that film's a, that's a good four-star movie, I think. I saw it in the theater, never thought about it again. Right, okay. Except for spaghetti. I like it. Yeah, palms are sweaty. Mom's spaghetti. Um, so, yeah, if it wasn't for Eight Mile, then we wouldn't have a half-dollar man story. <laughs> um, but certainly... Because it's kind of drawing from his, I'm assuming because it's drawing from his life story, he's also involved quite heavily in the writing, I'm assuming. He said that he went in and was practicing, he hired an acting coach, but then when they actually went to film, the script was entirely different. Huh. So I don't know. Okay. So all I can maybe say is that if that's the case, they've effectively kind of taken his story, didn't realize, didn't think it was it was dramatic enough to 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 make cinematic. I don't know if he had anything to do with it. I, I've never, I haven't seen anything to where he had any hand in in writing it. Hmm, that seems a bit weird. That doesn't make any sense. Certainly, if they're going to use use his kind of uh, the basis of it. Well, I mean, you say like he took classes and stuff like that. Samuel L. Jackson was 
penned for a role in this movie. Yeah. He, he pulled out basically saying that he had uh, he had zero confidence in 50 Cent uh, due to his lack of experience. Basically saying that he was inexperienced and unproven, which isn't wrong. Maybe there's a more tactful way of putting it. Yeah, I think that's you know? a little unfair to to do that. Everyone starts somewhere, and I don't think Curtis Jackson is amazing in this movie, but he's not bad. No, he's certainly not bad. And it's interesting because he had that acting coach on set with him first day, and Jim Sheridan said, uh, get this acting coach out of here, because if your acting isn't good, it's my fault as a director. He says, get out of here, acting coach. Get the fuck out of my office. Is that your Irish know, was, accent? What no, was that? I have no idea. Well, I was in the middle of drinking. Do you know how they ended up getting in contact, Jim Sheridan and 50 Cent? No. Apparently, Bono introduced them. Okay. Didn't think we'd talk about you two on this podcast, but... No. Yeah. Um, okay. Apparently, Sheridan was interested in meeting him and talking to him about his story. Okay. So Bono introduced them. Huh. I don't know how they knew each other, but well, I mean, they work in the music industry. Fifty Cent's one of the one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest current acts of all time, and obviously, you two cannot prevent themselves from invading people's personal space with their music. So, um, it would it would make sense. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't. It would honestly. I feel like the Edge would have just like fed a guitar just as a door was closing. <laughs> and just be like, half dollar man, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we have more shower scenes than we thought. Yeah, I mean, um, Eastern Promises, this is not. No, but it's, you know, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's well, not as good as Eastern Promises. No, there's a kind of like, I mean, I guess we'll just get into it, because I don't really have much else to say. If you're interested in seeing this, like, it's very much the... The paint by numbers kind of gangster movie, really. Yeah. This so, kind of this scene itself though kind of sets it apart from from a lot of those though. This is a very this seems very brave for what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's it's pretty good, I have to say. So this scene comes in at an hour, one minute, twenty five seconds, about just right smack dab in the middle of the film. And it is a prison shower scene. Oh, you know is, how I like a prison film. I know you love a prison I film. I got really excited when they all went to prison. Yeah. yeah. Loves a prison film. Love a prison movie for and, whatever reason. And good golly, do we have a, a shower scene. Yeah. And which is always tense, you know. Uh, no one likes to shower in prison. We know there's many jokes about dropping soaps and all that sort of thing. Gross. <laughs> you had a line of, of inmates... Down the hallway, I think you only have six people showering at a time, and there's the yeah. guards watching you. Yeah. Maybe 10, 15 feet away from you. Uh-huh. But someone comes out with a, a shiv. Nasty shiv. Sh- yeah. Shank? What's the difference? Shiv or a shank? Well, I don't know where I it came from. I think you get from. shanked with a shiv, maybe. Well, he was completely naked. Can you, you get shivved? Get, you get shivved with the shank. You don't get shanked with a shiv. I don't think so. I think you can have a ship. Anyway. Anyway. Anyone, let us know. Write in. Yeah, anyone in prison, any prison, let terms, us know. I don't know. So everyone's naked. They're having a shower. Then one of the guys tries to murder 50 Cent with this knife. Yeah, this is also the first time that, that 
Half Dollar Man meets uh, Terrence Howard's character. Yes. Who we've already been introduced to from the beginning of the movie when they they stole the money from the Colombians. So you get to see how they became best friends. Yes, pretty and much. Partners. Yes. Because in crime. Yeah. And like literal crime. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Terrence Howard basically saves Fifty Cent's life in this scene and a fight breaks out and then there's just a wide array of wieners all over the place in the shower so there's there's it's all mostly in a wide shot but there's a panic and it's it's a very it's very clumsy and it's very opportunistic um yes and they're like slipping and sliding obviously because it's you know it's a wet shower floor and, you know, people are coming out of the shower, going back into the shower and things like that. Like, yeah. nothing is left to the imagination. Terrence Howard runs much. out. Oh, yeah. He runs out and, and then, then he runs just a back full in again. shot of his, of his entire body. Yes, yes. Like, there's no, there's no, tur- no stone left unturned in terms <laughs> of the cock department in this scene. Because um, I don't know, do we even see Curtis Jackson's wiener? I don't think so, but I think you see everyone else's. It you is see everyone else's. so... you know hectic yeah it's very yeah it's very kind of and i mean i would say like it's not particularly stylish and it's not particularly well crafted or put together but it kind of gets the point across you know yeah i mean at no point am i like am i like wow what a scene that was yeah you know you know as we were saying this is not uh an eastern promises that looks very cool and that bathhouse scene in eastern promises is awesome yeah well it's well kind of put together and choreographed and stuff this one it you can tell because it it just looks a little bit clumsy like it almost looks as if like they're holding back their their punches and stuff like when they're fighting yeah and it doesn't it really doesn't have any kind of sense of of impact because the minute the knife is shown the only thing that you're kind of startled by is the amount of cock that you're getting seen to. Other than that, like I don't think I don't think it's a very good scene, just in general. Well, then just the cops beating the ever-loving shit out of everybody on the ground. They get their batons out and they just start going wailing town, on yeah. everybody. Yeah, it's pretty violent. Like, the yeah. whole scene's pretty violent. Blood yeah, look, if you can't tell who did the crime. Just punish everyone. <laughs> I'm assuming that's how it works. Yeah. Well, they they were all... Um, there, there was an interview with 50 Cent that I was reading, and he was saying, yeah, we were naked. And apparently they were supposed to have these biker shorts on that had the same color as their skin complexion. Uh-huh. But when they got wet, as they were in the shower, they changed you know, to a darker color so you could tell. Oh, okay. That they were wearing little shorts, and so 50 Cent just said, let's do it naked. Yeah, What's it makes the point? sense. Yeah. Um, and I also saw somewhere that 50 Cent urged Terrence Howard to do the scene naked, and I don't have a reference for that, so I can't say how 100% true that is, but, okay. but maybe it is. The thing is, like, Terrence Howard's the one we see the most of, you know? Yes. In this scene. <laughs> Did you know that his ex-wife tried to blackmail him with nudie photos at one point? Why would you need to? We already see his dick in this fucking movie. Yes. Why would anyone care? That's what everyone was saying. Yeah. Um, Yeah, She was pretty cruel about it, apparently. 
but yeah. yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't need to. No, you wouldn't need to. But also, yeah, I mean that's a fucking scummy thing to do. Yeah, of course it is. Well. I mean that's kind of you know sexual filings, blackmail. Yeah. Sexual blackmail. And, and just... she is hopefully paying the price. Yeah, just dismantling the trust of someone that you fucking married. Yeah, you know? like that shit. I mean, it's we all know scummy. Terrence Howard is. <laughs> I'm gonna keep saying problematic on this podcast, but he mm. is a a character to say the least. Yeah, I will say, like, if you come with that amount of talent, because, I mean, my favorite Terrence Howard film's probably Prisoners. I really like him oh, in Prisoners. Right. Like, Terrence Howard is incredible. I think yeah. he's an incredible actor. Yeah, and I feel like he's not the only, and certainly will not be the last, of the actors and of talent who come with, I guess, a certain amount of caveats if you decide to cast them in your in your film. I think probably the most... But the most well-known aspect of, of, of him as an actor, his talent, is is his uh, portrayal as... Uh, well, it's, well, he didn't continue to portray him, but of uh, War Machine in the Marvel movies. Yeah. So I think after Iron Man 1, uh, yeah, he didn't portray him again. That's why we got Don Cheadle. Correct. I was trying to find out why that happened. I was always curious because I have... I've always liked... Terrence Howard. Well, I thought it was due to the and fact I didn't that he know, didn't... I didn't know about his behaviors. And... Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure it was due down to money. I think he wanted more money. Well, here's the thing. Did you know that he was the <clears throat> highest paid actor on Iron Man? He was paid more than Robert Downey Jr. He was okay. paid more than Gwyneth Paltrow. He was right. paid more than Jeff Bridges. He was the first person cast in that film, and he had the highest salary. I mean, Iron Man... Iron Man is only the beginning of the MCU. Without Iron Man, there is no MCU. So either it's a blessing or a curse. It depends on kind of where you come from on it. But yeah. John Favreau was saying that he didn't I mean, care D- for his behavior on set. And they had okay. to reshoot a lot of his scenes because they were having problems with him. Okay. And so when it came time to start writing and casting Iron Man 2, they were going to just cut down that character's scenes and make him, you know, less visible in the, in their world that they were building. But then when people were, you know, they had a trajectory for, for War Machine. So they decided to offer him less money. So they offered him, it's not completely clear, but it's a 50 to 80% cut in his salary. Okay. Hoping he would do it, and obviously, or maybe they weren't hoping he would do it. I think they were hoping he would just not bother doing it, and, and they could just recast him. did not, and they did recast him. For what they do with that character over the course of that, that the first couple of phases of the MCU, it, I hate to say it, but like it really didn't matter who was playing War Machine. In that, oh, they could have done a lot thing. more. It's not great. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not like, it's not like it was like, oh my god, that's the Don't fucking, they just take the Lawrence Olivier out? fucking that. Don't they just take him straight out at one point in one of the Marvel movies? He plummets never... to the earth and they think he died and he's gone for for a really long time. Well, the thing is, by the end of Endgame, he's he's just excised from the whole thing. Like, he's gone. Like yeah. He's, we're probably never going to see him again, you know? And Robert Downey Jr., like, he might have been, like, Robert Downey Jr. was laughing all the way to the fucking bank. Yeah. Like, he was in, what was that movie? He was in, uh... It wasn't Far From Home. It was the first one, Homecoming. Mm-hmm. He was only in that movie for like fucking 15 minutes. He got like $10 million just for oh, that fucking Oh, he had cameo. to have been in that movie for way less than that. Oh, yeah. So, I mean... He probably only filmed for 15 minutes. Yeah. And now here we are, talking about Marvel. 
Oh, whoops. Ugh, Sorry. God. Yeah. I'm just very interested in the in the Terrence Howard tales. I like to. I mean, you know what? I'm no stranger to like liking actors who are, for want of a better word, mental. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like they come. Like I guess like we're in a very kind of strange period in. Oh, I would we say this like in society mm-hmm. in the media. Okay. In like the creation of a like, because now we're oversaturated with content, and people are so scared of like how they are perceived in the media, and by like the general public. Okay. It's like everyone is constantly walking on eggshells. Like everyone yeah. feels like they're skating on thin ice. It feels so like everything that we behaves do is very well public at this point. Yeah, but I feel like. You know, and I'm not saying I condone any of this sort of stuff, but, like, life is a little bit more interesting if people are a little bit more mental. (laughs) You know? Or, like, you can make the argument that the work is substantially more interesting if you're working with, like, that level of temperament, you know? And that goes goes the same with, like, directors. I mean, I guess, like, because everyone is so well-behaved, there's almost a sense of it being relatively quite stale now that we're just not used to what it was like back then i do like the the videos and the audio that we that we tend to look at every once in a while of a director losing his shit or an actor going crazy and yelling at everybody i find it all very amusing that to me was like part and parcel of you you following a creative individual Mm -hmm. you know that always felt part and parcel of like you just sometimes have to deal with a level of difficulty. But the whole thing about, like, and I say this, like, in film, because that's primarily what I do, is, like, film is primarily two certain things. It's you're navigating personalities. Okay. And you're problem solving. (laughs) And that is it. That's all it is. Okay. That's all it is. It's just getting people to be in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. That's the problem solving. (laughs) <laughs> now making sure they do what you tell them to do that is navigating a personality right so more than ever like you don't need a fucking law degree or, or a business degree to be a good director you just need to be able to deal with people mm-hmm. so customer service <laughs> is so much more important than uh, than uh, your supposed business degree and your minor in film okay so there was also this 2015 interview that Rolling Stone did with Terrence Howard, where uh-huh. he apparently had formulated his own language. Uh, it's like a logic language he called teriology. Nice. So if we just want to add a little more peculiarity to Terrence Howard. So he he's trying to prove that one times one equals two. Because he, he, okay, he goes on to say, how can it equal one? If one times one equals one, that means that two is of no value because one times itself has no effect. One times one equals two because the square root of four is two. So what's the square root of two should be one, but we're told it's two and that cannot be. Does that make sense? I don't know. He's like, maybe, maybe putting me around his way of thinking. That's kind of... Yeah. He eventually put it on Twitter where he he wasn't wanting he hadn't like quite figured it out yet and hadn't fleshed out his idea, but eventually I think 
2017, he put it on Twitter, and everyone just tore it apart. Yeah. Because it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense, because it, it's mathematicians from generations have been able to, <laughs> to figure that one out. The fact that he called it teriology is quite magnificent. I fucking love that. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, because one, like, well, the thing is, like, the way I've always looked at it is, like, one times itself but is always just going to be one. Because that's what it always is. Well, because you know? it's one, one times. Yeah, because it's, so it, you're it's just only one timesing yourself once. by yourself. You're still only by yourself. You yeah. know, you have no friend. That makes complete sense to yes. me. Same as if you times one by nothing, you effectively end up with nothing because there was nothing there to times. Yes. Yes, there you go. So I, there's a couple other things that I wanted to point out uh, okay. that made me laugh in this film. Yeah. Which were, you know, you see in the beginning of the film, 50 it, Cent gets shot to hell. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the guy who looked like Rick James. No. Yeah, I like that, though. I like that about his character is that he had that picture of Rick James just hanging on his mirror. Because he thinks that that's who killed his mother. He did say that. Yeah, he did say that. I just thought that he thought he was he liked. I thought Rick he James. really did like Rick James. I as thought well. he liked Rick James. Yeah, but no, he hated him. You know, because he thought he killed his mom. Okay. Right. Well, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, when we get to go back later in the film and see what happened, why he got shot, who shot him, what was going on, um, there's this weird scene where you, he he's getting resuscitated by the ambulance and it's intercut with his own birth from his mother. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what was happening and it just was so weird to me because she's, uh, you see him getting resuscitated. Then you see her giving birth, but she's working at a diner and it looks as though she just stops work, starts having contractions and just squats down and pops out a little 50 cent. (laughs) She pops out. She squirts out a little, a little half dollar man. Um, a little fitty. It kind of looked as though she was not aware of her pregnancy by the uh, immediacy in which she gave birth. I mean that he must have slid out like a must have done. He slid out, slugger. slid out onto that dirty diner floor. There's all the fireworks going off and out. shit. It weirds me out in movies where you have someone who is about to give birth. Or they just feel oh contraction, and then wherever they are, they everyone stops. We need a doctor, and then they just take it out. It doesn't make any sense. Like y- you have time to go to the hospital. Someone call an ambulance. Well, no, all you need is a basin of water and some towels. That's Ew. all you need. You know. No. What's, well, hold on. What's weirder? Would you rather? Would you rather you were birthed onto a diner floor, or in a birthing pool? Pool. You'd rather be birthed in a pool? Than a dirty diner floor? Like in some fucking some fucking sterile hospital room, someone's pumped up a fucking birthing pool. Yeah. I always thought that shit looked weird. And I've also like you see videos of like the actual birth in the birthing pool and stuff oh, like that's that. Disgusting. And it just slides out, it comes out like this fucking trout, and then it, it floats up to the surface of the water. I, you know, it's and a, then it's, it's nothing but like shit and blood everywhere. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh my God, Ryan. <laughs> well, just it. That's what the, that's what it's it a, is. It's a it's a traumatic and miracle, dirty miracle. <laughs> but you know, yes, and also I don't even want to. I don't even want to talk about this. But you know, it's <laughs> yes, 
A pool is better than a dirty diner floor. That is obvious. I can't believe you're asking me that question. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Like it was just interesting. It always There's looks pro- a little bit weird. Like when you have to... They're in a the backseat of a car or something. And then the, yeah. and then the cabbie just give, gets the baby out. Yeah. I'm like, what? Well, it's like that moment in uh, Men in Black. And she gives birth, gives birth to the alien in the back of that car. And Will Smith's like, oh my God, it's a baby. And then it vomits on him. Gross. It's funny. Yeah, that's a good movie. I comedy. Like... That is comedy. Yeah, <laughs> that is comedy. Um, yeah, no, there's a few, there's some, there's some weird shit. There's some weird shit that kind of happens in this movie, or at least like the film, I feel like it starts off relatively quite strong after he gets shot though. There's at least like two moments where I was like, this is kind of, this is kind of weird. So like, tell me the girl, the girl he's seeing the girlfriend who he has the kid with, like he's been shot and his fucking jaws had to be wired closed. Yes. Because he didn't want to get a tracheotomy because, obviously, it would affect his vocal cords. Correct. You know. Because um, he is a poet. Yeah. Well, he needs and to be singer. able to talk. He needs to be able to have a voice. Yeah, of course. Um, but here's the thing. She starts having an argument with him. And he's not <laughs> able to fucking talk. Yeah. And at one point, she goes to him and says, is this what this is going to be like? As in, like, this is what life is going to be. And I was Correct. like, give the guy a chance. Yeah. I was kind of like, one, he's only just been able to start walking around. And also, eventually, he's going to be able to open his jaw again. Once he's healed. Yeah. And he's like, obviously, on, he's he's on painkillers and all sorts of stuff. Like he's, he's not time. It. And he's literally like going, can't open his mouth. And it's like, fucking hell. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And it's were, almost like, yeah. it's, it reminded me of the scene in Forrest Gump, where they tell him to run, Forrest, run, and he's got the braces on his legs. It's it's reminded me of that. Yeah. He has the braces on his mouth, which, weirdly enough, he wakes up with. It's as though an orthodontist came into the hospital room while he was having surgery and popped some braces on his well, teeth. Well, here's, here's the thing, and I mean... We were... He got shot in the mouth. He did, but How they did had he to... get his teeth back? Did they because... pop new Well, no, here's the thing. In there? Like... If you shoot someone that close to their face, it doesn't just go through the fleshy part of your mouth. There's muscle and all sorts of stuff yeah. there. It would have totally shredded his mouth. I agree. So the only way they would have had to have done anything was they would have had to have surgically gone in there, replaced all the muscles, made sure they were all attached, fucking basically fix his jaw, because yeah. the whole thing would have just fucking exploded, I right? Agree. Yeah, and then he had to wire them shut. And one way they, they do that, they put the braces on, because obviously his teeth were all fucked up. They probably were all shifted and moved around and things. It's so that when it healed... I don't think healed, that happens. I feel like they would have just broken. Well, here's the thing. Like, I got a friend back back home who got into a fight. And the bouncer whacked him right in the middle of his mouth and pushed all of his teeth back. The only reason they didn't fall into his throat is because he had braces. Those braces were obviously there to try and keep their fucking teeth in your mouth and to realign what what issues you had there, abnormalities, whatever that you had with your brace, like with your teeth. That's obviously what they're trying to do there so that it doesn't heal weirdly. That happened to me. That happened to me when I was doing a, jumping on a trampoline and I did a flip and my knee hit me straight in the face and it knocked my front tooth back, but it didn't knock it out and I had braces on. Um, But my teeth, my tooth died and I had to get it replaced anyway. Yeah. 
So, so it makes me think that they can wire it shut all they want, but if he had any teeth left, they'd probably be dead teeth. Well, we do see him taking the wires out of his mouth. That was oh, yeah, that's what like, I was saying. It's yeah. like Forrest Gump, if he can will it, because his wife wanted to have sex with him, and so he just yeah. willed his jaw to be healed yeah, he started, just in time. Started rapping like he was like, don't want to get your labia lips caught on my braces when I go he, down on you. He goes downtown <laughs> with those braces on. He does, yeah. You're fucking catching some pubic hairs on those braces. Ouch. And, yeah, it'd be a bit, a bit stingy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope he was being careful. Well, yeah, I hope so. I mean, to be fair, it was only a movie. I don't think he actually did it, but uh, yeah. They had an intimacy coordinator there. Probably. Just to keep an well, eye just, on those yeah, braces. Well, just, yeah, well, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a five foot nothing woman with a clipboard. She's just like watching in front of camera. Just like <laughs> you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Do that. Do that. Right there. You go. There you go. All right. Well done. <laughs> so we decided uh, because of our last episode, and I've been thinking about it for a while, and we're going to update our visibility and context ratings going forward because I do feel like maybe they need to be separated because it's hard to put them together when you have things maybe such as this movie in particular where you have visibility which is quite high yeah and then you have context which is pretty low yeah and so I thought we would go forward and see how it works if we separated those ratings so uh, we will we will be doing a zero to five rating of visibility alone context alone and then your overall film rating yes so would you like to go first so should i go with visibility first visibility first well probably a five because you see everything you sure do right yeah and in terms of the context well no i mean it has to be like a four or something because they're in the showers in prison and they're all completely stark bullet naked so, so I, mean, I guess that makes sense. So the first time that we're we're separating them, it ends up being the same rating. Pretty much, yeah. Because <laughs> right. I don't know, like, well, I don't know, I don't know how you would how you would. Like, well, look, let's put it this way: for some of the other ones, we didn't really separate it, or we kind of did it as a median. Yeah, you know, so like it might be in five, and then one, and then it ends up just becoming three. You know, yeah. so in this in this instance, yes, no, they end up they end up being the same. Okay. Do I think the scene is very good? No. No, I don't think the scene's very good. I think it's awfully clumsy. Yes. But in terms of like what it is and you're seeing, just because it looks clumsy doesn't mean that it, it doesn't get high scores for for, for what it is. You know I'll give I mean? them credit for being clumsy. It would be a clumsy situation you're in if you were getting stabbed yeah. in a prison shower and then you're trying to fight everybody, but you just lathered yourself up with some soap. Everything's a bit slippery. It's gonna be a little slip slidey. Well, it's like that. Uh, it's like that oil wrestling, you know. <laughs> you get all kind of clingy and stuff. You just grab hold of the things that you can get a hold of. Yeah, I like, think that's what happened here. And let me think. So my visibility, I'm gonna give it a four. That's just because I'm gonna combine everyone all together. Because you can see Terrence Howard, no problem. Uh, that's because he stands right. <laughs> Front and center, or front left, uh, I would say. But you can see everyone else's, but it is, well, there's it a lot of if, moving around. It seemed as if he was very aware of where the camera was. So, like, in that wide shot, he comes right up close to the he camera. Does. Yeah, so, like, it just seemed like he was like, no, that's where my light is. I'm going to go in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Right here, Jim? Is this good? Is that uh, my marker, Jim? 
uh, I'm not staring at your your testicles anymore. <laughs> just, like, hurry up, just run Back it. up, Terrence, please. Please, fucking hell. No. He's like just sitting in his chair and his fucking balls and that are just here. <laughs> yeah. How is um, that, Jim? For context, I'm going to give it a 3.5. I'm just going to make it a little bit different just for fun because it's uh, it's tough. It's rough. But I appreciate, you know, what they're what they're giving us here. Yeah. Obviously, they would be naked, and I'm glad that they filmed it as such instead of putting on weird flesh-colored pants. Yeah. Which would have uh, been insane. Well, everyone looked like a... What do they call them in Dogma? The Metro... Is it the Met... What's they call them in, in Dogma? Well, what, Metatron? Metatron. The voice of God? No, they call them the, the angels. What do they call the angels? Because remember, Alan Rickman takes his trousers down and he's just got a fleshy patch there. Yeah, well, he's the Metatron. Oh, is he? I think so. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Yes. Okay. I might rethink these ratings later on, but for right now, that seems fine. Uh, what I think if... for the small audience that we have just now, I don't think it's going to disrupt them too much. Okay, don't be mad at me. I think they, 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 don't, they don't come here for the ratings. They come here for the jokes. <laughs> So that's fine. Never mind. I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it double fours. Just like. Well, it's not your rating for the film? Or is no. That for the... oh, right. No, okay. certainly not. No, no. Because it was a bit of a fucking question. Our relationship. I, I think I'm going to give the film an overall two. Because I don't like it very much. And I don't find yeah. it very entertaining. But I loved everybody in it. And I thought everyone did a great job. I just don't think that the movie did a great job of giving its message in a succinct and entertaining way. And I think, as you were saying, Ryan, that it's been done better. Yeah, it has done. And I kind of feel like it suffers from the... It's kind of like... Because I don't want to sound like... I don't want to sound like Spike Lee. Because Spike Lee said that about Michael Mann when he did Ali, right? Um, he said, this isn't, this isn't a white man's story to tell. Okay. And I kind of feel that way with this one. I kind of feel like maybe put it in the hands of a, of a, of a black voice and it probably, it probably would land a little bit more credibility. Yeah. Maybe it does. As I was asking before, maybe it does suffer a bit from, from Jim Sheridan. And that's a shame, you know, if that's, I don't think he's a bad, I don't think he's a, I don't think it's a bad filmmaker. Certainly not. But I feel like obviously, uh, who wrote it again? Because he wrote Wolf of Wall Street. And, it was Terrence. Uh, Terrence. Terrence Winter. Winter. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like it, it loses a little bit. There's aspects of life that we as white people will never understand. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just something that we'll never understand. And we just have to be sympathetic. But there will be a there will be like a level of prejudice that just kind of finds itself kind of seeding its way into the work because of a lack of understanding, and that's kind of how I feel about this. Now, oh, unfortunately, because okay. because of that, you know, I don't think that's the primary issue here. I think the primary issue is that it's just not a very good script. Yeah. That what they're given here, and I feel like everyone tries their best, but yeah. it just doesn't. It just doesn't pay off. Like, it's just too long. It's too long, and it's it, it focuses on all the wrong aspects. And, and for the most part, it, it kind of comes out that 50 Cent is an incredibly unappealing person at the end of it. What did you give it as your rating? Did you say it? You didn't, haven't said it yet. I said it was, like, middle of the road, two and a half. Okay. Out of five. You know, well, I, I don't think... think it's very good. It started off really strong. I was like, fuck, if it keeps on this pace, but it, it just yeah. doesn't. Yeah, it just doesn't. So. Yeah. 
Okay, I agree. Would you recommend this film? Yeah, probably. I mean, like, if I was saying, like, if I was going to recommend it to, like, you know, friends and stuff like that, they've probably already seen it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, This was your first time seeing it. This was my first time seeing it because I thought, wow, this would be a laugh. I hope this is good. Yeah, I let you pick uh, this movie. Yeah, it's a shame, like... the last one. Yeah, it's a shame. It's just, like, it's just not, it's just not as good as other films of the ilk. You know, it's not a boys in the hood. It's not a menace to society. It's no, it's like, it's like even films like closer to like it's, it's date range and stuff like that. Like, uh, straight out of Compton is a far superior and interesting film to, to this thing. Yeah. You know, and that's also, I mean, they're all, they're all based on true stories. They're all based on, they're all based on uh, interactions and, you know, the stories of these, of these characters, you know, of these directors and writers. So yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. They could have probably have done something better if it was maybe in the right hands. Yes. And I think I want to reiterate, everyone did a great job, but you know, I don't think I would recommend this movie. I've seen it twice, and I just looked, because I have been doing this website since 2007, and I had it down as a 1, as an overall rating back when I had seen it the first time, so... That's tough, but it doesn't. It just does a disservice. I don't, a one to me these days is a hate rating, which I don't hate this movie. Yeah. I just I would maybe not want to watch it again. No, but um, maybe watch it for the shower scene. Here's just here's skip the thing. To the middle. Here's the thing, and I'll you know I'll say this forever. Um, it's better than in the cut. Oh my god, is that going to be your ending line for every film we do going forward? I think I'm done. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Ryan, and picking this film. That's fine. I thought it would be fun. I had a good time. Yeah, I thought it was okay. Coming to you from Samuel L. Jackson's rejection to being in this film. Well, the thing is, hold on, hold on, (laughs) before you do that, because he ended up having to eat his own words eventually, because he did work with 50 Cent on Home of the Brave. And there's also other films where 50 Cent's in them as well. I think he was, he was in some other kind of gangster movie that was he was actually pretty good in. He was a little bit more understated. He wasn't the lead role. I think, so. he's, I think he's, he's a great job. Yeah, he's done well. He's done well. I'm but just yeah. saying that Samuel L. Jackson didn't want to be in yeah, this maybe, movie. Yeah, Sam Jackson should probably have reined it in a wee bit. Yeah. Either way. But I don't know. I like Sam Jackson regardless. Well, I have been Laura. <sighs> I'm the half dollar man. There he is. Thanks mm-hmm. for being here, and we will see you next time. Who said you weren't going to learn anything on this podcast, you motherfuckers? <laughs> oh my god.